welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. Welcome, Dr. Doric, to All Talk Oncology, sir. How are you? Nice to see you again or speak with you again here. Yes. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, Dr. Doric, this is going to be an important segment here because we see a, an increase in colon cancer today. And you being the gastroenterologist, we know you see a lot of these cases coming to you. What do you contribute to the increase we're seeing today? I would say is we see a lot, but we see a lot less the more people get screened. So the more people get their screening colonoscopy and they do their prevention, we're seeing less cancers because we're getting them early by taking out these colon polyps that grow inside and take some about 10 to 11 years to get turned to a cancer. But, you know, we're seeing more cancers because a lot of people didn't get their colonoscopies during the COVID pandemic and the delays caused by forces that are beyond our control, wherever that conversation is. So the point is, yeah, we see cancer. I see a lot of cancer, more than you see in the sense of colon cancer diagnosis, but we don't see a lot. In terms of how many cases a year in the country, you know, 150,000 cases a year, 50,000 plus people die a year from it. When you start taking that number and say, okay, it's not just one person, but it's a spouse, a partner, a child, a parent, that number becomes exponentially much more than just 150,000. So you asked me what about diet and what do we do and what do we see that causes this uptake of cancer and this higher incidence? of colon cancer in younger people per se is clearly, you know, the Western diet, you know, that we know, high red meat, low fiber, low fruits and vegetables and all those things is gonna be a contributing factor. So yeah. there's no one direct correlation, but if you ask me like observationally, the more greens, fruits, fibers, natural foods you eat, the less red meat you eat, the less processed foods you eat, the healthier you're gonna be and less chances you're gonna to have to get colon cancer. You know, I, I like that you jumped into the diet because it, it's a huge thing today. And you talked about the Western here in the United States, the diet, there's a high obesity rate. And mm -hmm. how do you help yourself? You know, people that have come in, they've been living their life, Dr. Doric, the lifestyle that they've had as far as the foods they're eating, and now they get hit with cancer. Sometimes the diet gets overlooked. They just go right into their treatments and maintain the same lifestyle. Could you talk to us a little bit about how important it is for colorectal and, and their diet? Well, I would say you know, diet is part of the lifestyle and the prevention of leading up to it. You know, you get cancer, flipping your diet's not going to solve the problem. But a lifestyle for 20 years leading up to a time when you could be diagnosed with cancer will. And so I don't think that the diet's the pivotal thing. Obviously, it's critical to eat healthy and get your body and immune system and everything back to optimal performance the best it can be. But these are not like one night, you know, flips one day flips, you know, one change. This is a chronic pattern of time, of choice, of decision, a compound. So especially as someone like yourself or myself, I'll say myself over 50, I'm 51, much, much harder to make those shifts and adjustments in diet, metabolism, and everything physically as we get older. So when you're 20, you know, you can make big shifts, shift your body around rather quickly. You start getting 50, 51, a lot harder. You start yeah. dealing with cancer and a diagnosis and the emotional, physical stress associated with that gets even harder. We see a lot of people coming into All Talk Oncology and just looking for answers, you know, looking for ways that they can help themselves. And, you know, one of the things people, they realize that 
getting checked is an important step, the screening. But, you know, Dr. Dorick, what we're seeing is a lot of people going towards this trend. It's called colonic, right? What's your thought and take on the colonic versus people saying, well, I don't need to go in and get a colonoscopy? I think there's two conversations. One, you mentioned the word colonic, which is a conversation that's rather short-lived with me because I think it's utterly unnecessary. <laughs> um, I think colonics, I think a colonic is great if you want to spend 50 or $60 and waste your money on some kind of remedy that you think you're going to remove 30 pounds of crud and waste from your bowels. Not the case, not true. Eat a balanced, healthy diet, high in fiber, fruits and vegetables, drink a lot of water, go to the bathroom regularly, you'll be fine. If you really feel the need to clean out, just do a colon prep or buy a bottle of magnesium citrate over the counter at Publix or the pharmacy or whatever, your grocery stores for a dollar nineteen and go nuts. But you know, I don't think a colonic is truly necessary. So I think it's a waste personally. But again, you want to spend the money and do it. Enjoy yourself. Colonoscopy is a whole other, you know, conversation. That's something that's proven, scientifically proven, to prevent cancer deaths. So it's not just prevents cancer; it actually prevents death from cancer. And that's a very powerful screening tool because it's not just a screening tool to detect and prevent cancer by removing the polyps or diagnose cancer when it's found. It actually has reduced mortality, reduced the death from colon cancer, and that's a unique finding of all the screening tests. You know, prostate, PSA, mammogram, et cetera, et cetera. Colonoscopy has a unique space in that, again, reduced death, reduced mortality. Yes. You know, you talked about that reducing your death and it's not a replacement. Colonic is not a replacement for colonoscopy. Let me ask this question. With the yeah. increase that we see going on with with colorectal cancers, should people go in a lot earlier then to get screened, especially now with the diets are affecting people and these polyps could be forming? What is your opinion on that? Well, I'm not sure if this is a little bit of a leading question because we all know that the guidelines changed many years, well, not many years ago, probably six or eight years ago for African-Americans. So the guidelines went from age 50 to 45. Now, Within the last year, it's become across the board for everyone. It's actually national USPTF and all the societies are now recommending age 45 to begin screening for colon cancer. So the question is, should it be earlier? Earlier, if you're still stuck in the mindset that it should be 50, yes, it should be earlier. It's 45. Should it be earlier than 45? Probably not, unless you have a family history or some clinical symptoms warranting an evaluation. So for a person without any family history who is not high risk, Age 45 is the year to start. Okay. Earlier, if you have any symptoms or issues like rectal bleeding, weight loss, change of bowel habits, or something's not right, see your doctor. But 45 for average screening is recommended. That def definitely answers the question on that. You know, because I, I think even for myself, I, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of due. I'm kind of, <laughs> you know, I've had a colonoscopy. I, I, thought, I thought you were I thought you were 37. I, I, I mistaken. <laughs> you know. You know, I had a colonoscopy once and everything was good, you know, good. everything's good, but want to want to be preventative, right? And get in there, get things checked out. When you start talking mm -hmm. about diet and, you know, we talk, you can talk about leaky gut. You hear a lot of that stuff, right, Dr. Dork? Uh -huh. Leaky gut and gut health, gut bacteria. What is your take on that? And again, is it just a bunch of whatever, or is this something for you? What's your opinion on it? opinion is that good gut health or good microbiome, which is a collection of all the viruses, bacteria, 
protozoa, things that live inside our bowels. So good, diverse microbiome made of trillions and trillions of bacteria, viruses, protozoas, whatever you want to call it, all things living in there. A good, diverse microbiome or good gut health is the ticket to good mental health, good physical health, and good health overall. Because we know that the gut ties to the brain. We know the gut ties to the heart. So the premise or the, the feeling that when there's a weakness or breakdown of the mucosal wall, that some of the bad toxins or bad bacteria leak out and cause like, you know, this systemic illness. I'm not, I am not saying there is a leaky gut syndrome. I'm not talking about leaky gut syndrome, but it's not really defined what it is. It's conceptual and it's discussed more in functional medicine and on the internet. But point being is there's a very clear correlation between gut health and mental health and overall health and a very diverse, healthy microbiome made of both good and bad bacteria more good than bad is what you want it is a yin and yang state a balance between good and bad it's a battle of good versus evil inside your body and you feed the army of good and you feed the army of bad with by eating and how you take care of yourself and you sleep if you take too much antibiotics or run to antibiotics every time you have a sniffle that's going to kill off good bacteria if you're not eating healthy, diverse foods, probiotics, you know, things that have good, healthy bacteria in it, you're not going to provide the, the fuel for the bacteria to create a good, diverse microbiome. Again, ties to gut-brain access, gut-heart access. It all is like one big symbiotic system that kind of works together. So you are what you eat is not a, just a statement. It's actually quite true. You and I had talked a little bit about foods and the types of foods we should be putting into our body. And you mentioned food is powerful. Food is a living thing. You know, talk about that because it, I love the way you kind of uh, explain that. I kind of described to you, I think you asked me about food. You know, I grew up actually vegetarian. This is not about vegetarianism or eating meat or not eating meat. This is just a concept, very eccentric, but kind of the way I see it. I look at food as like, you know, it's energy. Everything's a life force. There's an energy field around most things, ourselves. If you put on night vision goggles and look around into a room of people, people are going to light up, right? There's going to be an energy field around us. You're not going to get the same energy off a book or off a picture frame or off a remote control. Well, maybe batteries give some energy, but that's the general concept. And if you look at food in the ground, a carrot or an apple on the tree, there's an energy to it. There's a life force to it, salad, greens. There's vibrancy. If you take an apple and eat it and throw it, what happens? In theory, an apple tree will grow. You take a pear, you drop it. What happens? A pear tree will grow. Tomatoes, cucumbers. I mean, seeds create more life, right? So I see that as high energy, positive energy, life force energy. Yet if you take a piece of meat, which is dead matter, and throw it in the ground, nothing happens. It rots and decays. So that's the difference of energy and food, in my opinion. If you have to ask me, where's the energy from food? It's not from the red meat or foods that don't generate life again. It's, you know, wheats, grains, right? What do you do with those? You throw those in the ground, what happens? You get more wheats and grains. It's all seeds. So that's just my take on it. I love it, though, because it's true. You said you, you throw a seed in the ground, it actually grows. The earth is yeah. its energy. It's powerful. And, it, you know... When you think about what you said earlier, we are what we eat. Thinking about all of those foods that we're putting into our body that can help us, um, absolutely amazing. Yeah. 
you talked a little bit about probiotics and things like that. How important is micronutrients? Uh, I think micronutrients, macronutrients, I think the biggest take of it is balance, healthy portion control, balance, healthy eating. Don't sit there and worry about micro and macro and this and have enough ounces and grams and calories. It's a, it's a crazy way to live. Mm-hmm. It's got to think broad strokes. Avoid the white flours. Avoid the white sugars. Avoid the food that's processed in bags. Eat foods in bags if they're green or organic and they come from the supermarket and they're healthy. But stay away from bag food otherwise, you know. Just be smart. Go for portion control. Have pasta. Have rice. But have portion control. Have your protein. Have portion control. Have your fats. Have your avocado, your nuts, oils you know, as your fats. Not Twinkies and, you know, ring dings or whatever. You know, have your sugar in moderation, you know, not the white sugar, not the processed stuff. So micronutrients, macronutrients, yeah, we can get into you know, get detailed and detailed and obsessive and compulsive about all this stuff. To me, it's not the way I choose to live anymore. I dabbled with that type. It's just not, I don't have the energy for it. Broad yeah. strokes. Eat, eat, eat good 80% of the time. Cheat 20% of the time. And if you cheat the way I cheat, bread and butter, pita chips. Those are my cheats typically. Some cake maybe, but... Yeah, I don't go out and like have like, you know, pizza and stuff once in a while, but I'm not going out and like, you know, slamming pizza pie, you know, whatever. But I'll go out to dinner, I'll go have pasta, I'll have bread and butter and I'll live my life. It's balance, you know, I try to eat good night 80% of the time, try to exercise, try to keep moving, try to do things in balance. We all need more of that. <laughs> it's balance. It's, it's just balance. It's, it, it's not, it's the simplicity of it is what makes it complicated. Eat smart. Eat healthy, move your body, do some exercise, get some sleep. I mean, it's really concepts are simple. We make it very complicated. So, Dr. Dork, you being a gastroenterologist, is there anything new out there, any new technologies that are being brought into the industry that you maybe can talk about? The biggest change I've seen probably is the treatment of hepatitis C in the last you know decade. You know, we had really no treatment and we had a very long drawn out treatment involving a lot of needles and drugs with a 50% efficacy. Now we have oral pills for two months with a 95 plus 96%, if not more response rate. So that's pretty novel to see something like that shift so dramatically. But there's, you know, that's the beauty of medicine. It's, it's constantly changing. So it makes it challenging, but it's constantly changing. So Dr. Dort, is, what do you tell your cancer patients, those that come in They've been diagnosed. Maybe they had it cut out, surgery. What yeah. do you tell them after? There's a few things I tell them, but usually at the time of diagnosis is when the conversation starts. And the conversation usually, listen, you know, there's, the bad news is I think I found something that needs to come out. I think, it's, I think it's cancer. But the good news is I think we found it early enough that we can take it out, do another colonoscopy in a year, then three years and five years, and go on and live your life the way you want and live a normal, healthy life forward. So that's the way I kind of approach it. There's a few other aspects of things I share with people, but that's the, the big gist of it. Or, you know what, if this is the biggest hurdle or hiccup you have in life, not minimizing it, but thank God that's it because we're going to keep an eye on you and you're going to keep living and we'll take care of it. That's, you know, colon cancer is a relatively, I don't say relatively slow growing, but Colon cancer is not something you know usually gets you within a week. But again, it's the focus of what we do is this communication. Just communication, communication, communication. Well, Dr. Dork, you know, I appreciate you coming on to the show and explaining to our listeners some of the things that they can take care of. 
right? Things that they are in control of that can help them along this journey, you know, and for those that are, have not been diagnosed, what you can start doing now when it comes to, you know, watching the things that you put into your mouth, the things that you're eating. Yeah. So I appreciate and more, that. And more important than anything, get screened with a colonoscopy at 45 if you're average risk or earlier if you have a family history. That's the most impactful thing in preventing cancer. Diet, all those things are important. Colonoscopy matters most. Get your screening done. Anyone that's listening to this, make sure you get your screening. If you haven't had a screening, schedule it. Make an appointment. Yes. Yep, you got it. Dr. Doerr, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on All Talk Oncology. It's always a privilege uh, when we can speak uh, with you. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much, Kenny. Stay thank healthy. You. Cheers. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.